0: Let us pray. Lord God, indeed we live upon your word. So, Lord, speak to us today that we might have life. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, our family loves to watch those home renovation shows. Anyone like it's okay. This is a safe place. Is anyone like truly addicted to those things? They're so cool, right? No one. Okay. Or, or maybe you are. and This isn't a safe place. And I. That's okay. Well, we can talk about that later. There's there's gonna be prayer ministers later in the service. Uh, but this. Uh, we love those home renovation shows where like, uh, you know, these contractors roll up to this house. It's completely dilapidated. Uh, it, it's kind of gross looking. Um, some of you are contractors. This is your job and. Uh, For people like me, I look at these homes and I'm like, this is disgusting. There's no hope here. Call the bulldozer and let's be done with it. But the amazing thing about these contractors is that they see such tremendous potential here. And so they roll up their sleeves. They get to work and they start replacing old, rotten beams with sturdy ones. They patch holes in the roof. Uh, sometimes they'll knock down walls or put up walls. Sometimes they'll uh, replace the windows so that more light can come into this. And again, like this is a, tr- a tremendous gift um, because it, it requires a tremendous amount of vision, oftentimes, like I said, that I myself don't have. Um, because yeah, actually, let's, let's put a pin in that. We'll hang on to that for a moment. So let's now turn to Romans for a split second. I'm going to be preaching on the temptations, but I think that Romans just does a beautiful job at setting the scene for this. So this is a pretty epic passage. Here Paul compares the failure of the first man, Adam, to the victory of the Messiah, Jesus. And in verse 19, we read this. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. So when we read this, a passage like this, especially with the lectionary uh, presenting us uh, these these three scriptures, Romans feels like you're standing on the ridge of a really high mountain line. And on one side, we look to our left, we look and we see a valley on both sides of this mountain. And we look to our left and we look down into Genesis 3. And there we see Adam, who's just been cast out of the garden. And he's standing there in the wilderness. And it's as if the snake is still chiding him from behind. But then we look to the other side, down into the other valley. And there we see another scene of the wilderness. But this time it's Jesus. And rather than Satan um, chiding him, we see Jesus confronting Satan that ancient serpent. And so from this vantage point, with Adam on our left and Jesus on our right, we can see that through Jesus Christ, God is getting the human project back on track. That God has decided not to bulldoze the whole entire thing, but he's decided to enter into the mess of it all no matter how dilapidated it might seem, no matter how disastrous it might be, no matter how painful or costly it might be, he descends down into our moment. He sees potential in this. God has not given up on the whole thing. And that's not all. The way that Jesus restores our lives takes us completely by surprise. No one would have predicted the way that he, would have, that he chose. Jesus descends into the muck and the mire of the human experience, and he meets us there in the wilderness. In other words, he's deciding to restore humanity at ground level. N.T. Wright says that it's as if Jesus catches humanity in the midst of a free fall. And so, we're going to be, there's kind of two main halves to my message today. I want us to consider that first valley, which is sort of the, the failure of humanity, and then we'll look at the other valley and how Jesus goes a different way. So let's start with Adam. So before Adam and Eve sinned, God led them through the wilderness. He spoke with them face to face. He provided for them. He gave them uh, everything that they could ever want was at their hand. He charged them. He gave them purpose in this world. And he told them not to eat from a specific tree, but they went for it anyway. They reached, they grabbed for it. They were hungry and they reached for it at the trickery of Satan. They reached for this forbidden fruit. So Adam was hungry and he grabs at this forbidden fruit. He grabbed at easy satisfaction and he places his own bodily sensual desires over the obedience of God. And for this, Adam was cast out of the garden and sent into the wilderness And this is a pattern that we see over and over and over throughout the history of the Bible. God leads Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. At one point, he meets Moses face to face on the mountain. And while he's doing that, what happens to the people? Well, they grow impatient, and in their impatience, they're hungry. Uh, they're hungry to uh, worship a different God, a God who they can see, a God who could maybe act quickly than the one who they're presently serving. And so they construct a calf out of gold and bow down before it. And then later, God leads Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And he tells them, I will provide for you. I will give you bread every single day. And this miraculous bread falls from heaven. They called it manna, which means, what is it? <laughs> This, this manna falls from heaven and the people, what do they do? They fill their baskets with it. They take more than they need. Uh, they, they're driven by their appetites instead. They fill their baskets. They pursue their own hunger. They sa- satiate their own hunger instead of obeying God. This is the human pattern. We do this. We are restless creatures who are controlled by our desires, aren't we? Hunger leads to impatience and impatience leads to grabbing. We reach for that which doesn't belong to us. So what about Jesus? What happens on the other side of the mountain, in this valley? Well, in a way, the parallel that we see here between Adam and between Jesus is is a little off balance, because Jesus doesn't begin where Adam begins. Jesus begins where Adam left off in the wilderness. Jesus like Adam and like Israel and like all of us, begins in the wilderness in a place of hunger. And the point of it is this. When the Bible tells us that Jesus is hungry, it's to remind us that he himself became a human, became a man, that he experienced hunger in the same way that we do. He experienced pain in the same way that we do. Now let's kind of uh, take a step back and understand a, a little bit of what the people, what the Jewish people were expecting in that day. If we were to take a survey of the Old Testament and kind of read about all these prophecies of who the Messiah would be, we would realize that the Messiah is a pretty complicated person. In some places, the Messiah is referred to as the Son of God, that is, a conquering king, that he would come and through power and might, he would defeat all of his enemies and vanquish Satan and all of the other enemies into the sea forever forever. But in some places we read that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant, that he would stoop down and that he would wash his people himself, that he would take upon himself their burdens, their iniquities, their sin. So which path is it that Jesus chooses, the conquering king or the suffering servant? Well, the religious leaders of that day were absolutely certain that Jesus would come as a mighty king that he would stand at the pinnacle of the temple and prove through supernatural events that he was for sure the Messiah. (coughs) They also believed that when the Messiah came, that he would repeat that miracle of the manna, that he would provide bread for all of the people miraculously. And so if you remember John 6, when Jesus does feed the 5,000, do you remember what happens immediately after that? They want to make him king. They thought that it was game time They thought that this was the Messiah getting ready to feed his army and prepare to go march on Jerusalem uh, to to knock, you know, get all the hypocrites out of the temple and then declare his royal reign. And so the people expect Jesus to do what all of us do. They thought that he would flex his power, that he would provide food for everyone using that power, and that that he would command a divine victory he would grab, that he would take what he wants. Well, that ancient serpent curls up next to a hungry Jesus, and he says, turn these stones into bread. Stand on the top of the temple and demand your respect. Open your hands, and I will place into it all the power of the world. In other words, satisfy your desires now, Jesus. Just grab it. Take it now. I can give it to you. So do you see what this is? Do you see what Satan is trying to do to Jesus here? He's trying to give him a path to glory without suffering, without going through the cross. These are invitations to take the position of a king without putting on the role of the servant. These are invitations to sit on a throne before hanging on a tree. So what does Jesus do? Well, like I said, This is Jesus getting the human project back on track for bringing his plan of salvation back on track. And he doesn't do so by flexing his power or making demands or doing miraculous things. Instead, he descends into the wilderness. He descends to a place of hunger. He submits to the obedience of God. He faces the same sort of temptations that you and I face. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he faces them with courage. He faces them with the wisdom of Scripture. And he faces them with unflinching devotion to God his Father. So I guess my question for you now is, what's the wilderness that you find yourself in? Because I think all of us are in one in, in some sort of sense, aren't we? It's been a crazy past few years. Some of us still walk from a limp because of those things. What's the wilderness that you find yourself in? Maybe you find yourself like Adam, where you've been chasing your desires, when you've been grabbing at your pursuits, trying to fill your own hunger for over a lifetime, and it's gotten you nothing but pain and toil and division from those who you love. Or maybe your wilderness is a place of spiritual torment where you feel like Satan keeps rattling you with lies and just keeps throwing them at you one after another. You hear them so frequently that it's difficult to disbelieve, to disbelieve them. Or Maybe your, your hunger, your wilderness, is just simply a place of hunger, a place of thirsting, a place of desiring wholeness more. What is your wilderness? Well, one of the things that we can learn here from the temptations is that Jesus descends with us that he sits alongside us, that he humbles himself to this lowly estate, that he experiences the same things that we experience, those hunger pains, those temptations, the lies of the devil. He experiences all of this. But the story goes on from here because from here, Jesus heads to the cross. He heads to the cross, and that's what Lent is. It is a journey week by week closer to the cross, But here at the cross, Jesus defeats Satan once and for all. He makes payment for all of our sin that gives us that grace that we read about in Romans that assures us that we have favor before God, that we have forgiveness of all of our sins because he paid the price and it has been dealt with once and for all. The sin of Adam, the sin of us all, doesn't have power over us anymore because of the cross of Christ. It no longer controls us. And the same Holy Spirit that animated, that filled Jesus, He now pours out upon us all so that we can experience the same victory that He did, that He does. And that's what I hope that this Lent can be for us. It can be a time of examining our desires, from fasting, from things to, 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 take up, to exercise those spiritual muscles so that we can look at the things which direct us and and that we can be that we can ask the holy spirit to fill us afresh we can meditate upon the scriptures so that when those trials and temptations come they come to the front of the mind the front of our mind by the power of the holy spirit may this be a time in which we are fashioned and shaped more into his likeness may we have his courage may we be filled with his wisdom And may we rest in the love of God, just as Jesus did. So, with that in mind, let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we are assaulted by many temptations. Lord, many of us are sitting in the wilderness right now. Would you please join us, Lord Jesus? Would you make your presence known to us, Lord Christ? Because you are the victorious one, and we need to be filled with your spirit, Lord. Without you, Lord, oh, we would just waste away. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us, for not wanting to bulldoze us, Lord, or push us aside, but instead, Lord, you come down to where we are in our brokenness, and bit by bit, brick by brick, nail by nail, Lord, you restore us and make us whole. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. During this season of Lent, Lord, may we be filled afresh with your Spirit and be stirred into greater love of who you are. It's in your name and for your glory we pray all these things. Amen.